that I wanted us to take the time as a, as a family to pray for this week. Uh, some of you have been getting the email updates and you know about uh, Jacob Mooney, who's the son of Karen Kohler, who last Sunday, right about this time last Sunday, started to experience stroke-like conditions and uh, ended up in the ER and eventually admitted into the hospital. Uh, the problem over the course of the week is there was no improvement. In fact, there was a worsening. And as they started to rule out stroke and seizures, it really became confusing for the doctors. We do have a praise report that just as soon as yesterday afternoon, Jacob started to have feeling back in the left side of his body, which was, for the most part, paralyzed throughout the week. Um, and now he's actually lifting both arms over his head and communicating uh, a bit more clearly now uh, to where it can be understood. So we're seeing, we're seeing uh, 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 progress in that. Praise the Lord. And we know people have been there praying every step of the way, the whole, the whole way through. And what's really incredible uh, is Jacob's not a member of our church. He's not even a, a tender of our church. He, he's, he's locked into another church somewhere else, and, and praise the Lord for it. But still, as a church family, you just felt like this is something we need to pray for. This is something we need to, to visit and care for Karen about. And, and I appreciate that. I'm proud of you as, as your pastor that you took it that way. This week also, you know, a little Noah Card, a five-year-old, went in for surgery. And they had to adjust his pelvis and shift a femur and, and some just stuff that I, caused me to cringe a little bit to think about. He came through it pretty well. He did have to go back, though, the next day and, and have his cast readjusted. And, and, uh, and so that was a, about a 30-minute operation that he had to go through again. He's home now, and I want to just remind you of, of what you can do. This is a, a single mom with a 5-year-old who's wheelchair-bound and now with a cast pretty much from his belly button down to his, his ankles. Um, and that'll be that way for the next month or so. And this is such a great opportunity as a church body to care for, for this young mother and to care for Noah as well. You've seen the sign-up list for the, the meals, but that's bare minimum, the meals. There's all kinds of stuff as a church family we can do. And I want to just pray you just let the Lord lead you, and then you'd go do it. Don't ignore his spirit on this. And so we'll pray for that in just a moment as well. Um, and this morning, it's actually it kind of sad for me to let you know that... Um, We've had a family that had come about Christmas time, and Nuke Young came to, to teach at, at North Carolina A&T, a teach a course, came here from Korea, and popped into our church uh, on Christmas Eve night just to check out what was going on. Language barrier and, and such, but he, their family hooked on, and they've been just a wonderful part of us the last six months. And so we say goodbye to them. They'll, they'll be in church next week, but uh, then they'll be headed back home to Korea. And so I, I'm going to just take a time that we would pray for them and we would care for them this morning as a church family too. So I wanted to actually act, ask if Nook Young and, and Yoon Young would come forward and Subin, would you guys, do you guys mind coming up and we would pray for you? I assume you're over there. I just can't see with the lights. So yeah. Um, Subin this morning when she came and she asked if, if she might be able to read something to you as a church family. And so I, I thought, oh, that'd be be wonderful. So we're going to let her do that, and then we're going to pray for them and the other things that we, we mentioned this morning. So, zoom in. Go ahead.
Yeah, you gotta stay out here. So you can see, when the Lord wants to touch somebody's life, the Lord touches it. Language barrier? No. Uh, the Lord does it. And what a wonderful testimony this morning. And so we, we want to pray for them as, as they head home. And, um, and so we're, we want to ask um, that if, if you if you'd like to come up and just lay hands on them and surround them, and, and we'd ask, Spin, if you guys don't mind just bowing and kneeling at the, cro- or the, kneeling at the uh, altar there, our steps, um, and we'll pray for you here. I want to also during this time pray for, for Jacob, for Karen, and uh, for Noah. And, you know, one of the great things about a sound system kind of cutting out there is it reminds us everything's not perfect, is it? And we're not either. And there might be things in your life going on right now that during this prayer time that you need to take before the Lord and do your business with God right now. Use this time to do that as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we're reminded this morning that life transformation happens. That, Lord, people can come being prompted and led by your Spirit, not even knowing why, into a Christmas Eve service, Lord, where, where language is going to be an issue. And, and, Lord, you make a difference. You make an impact. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that, that we have the memory of the day where Nook Young was baptized right here in this church family, surrendering his life to you as his Lord and Savior. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the testimony of this family that they go back with a renewed and strengthened faith. And as they've testified, Lord, everything's not perfect where they go back to, but they're praying that they would be a light that shines and they would reach people for you, Lord. We pray that that would happen, that the fruit would overflow and that others would come to know you as their Savior, Lord, because of this family. Thank you for them. Bless them, Lord. Lord, for others this morning, we want to lift them up as well. As we've said already, we want to lift up the Kohler family. Be with Karen as, Lord, as she's still in, in such a tough shape with, with Jacob in the hospital. But Lord, thank you so much for the praise report of yesterday. Thank you so much for the movement and the talking and the alertness that we just didn't see for seven straight days. And Lord, we're going to trust as we've been praying all week. We've been saying just like that, Lord, it looks like you called into the tomb and you said, Lazarus, come forth. Lord, we've been praying Jacob would come forth, Lord, in his full capacities, just like he was before seven days ago. And we want to pray and we want to continue to pray that it would happen, Lord. Would you bring Jacob forth in full healing? And Lord, we pray for Noah as well. We thank you, Lord, for successful surgery, Lord. We, we know that there's pain and discomfort involved, but we thank you, Lord, that it was a success and things were handled the way they needed to be handled and that his body is now on the path to recovery. But Lord, we want to lift up Danielle. We want to lift up this young mom. We want to ask, Lord, that, that first of all, you would minister to her by your spirit and by your hand. And then, Lord, would you use us as a church family? Lord, I know there's times in my own life I would confess where you've prompted and you said, go help that person, do something. And I've said, no, Lord, I don't have time. This morning, Lord, would you push us, convict us, and then would we be obedient to whatever we need to do for this young family? We would be a blessing to them. Lord, I know that there's others sitting here right now that there is something deep in their heart. For some, like the song we sang, it's hidden shame. And Lord, they haven't been willing to let that come to the surface. Lord, at very least, would they at this moment let it come to the the surface of confession before you, their God, and say, Lord, deal with me on this. Convict me. Forgive me. 
And Lord, redeem me to your presence. And Lord, would you bring your compassion and healing in each of us, in each area. And Lord, we'll give you the praise. We'll trust that you are a great God. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. funny, but uh, true, is it? Is there times in our lives where, uh, you know, we kind of walk through everything that we walk through and we have kind of the me glasses on or the me focus on? We're going to kind of talk about that a bit this morning. We've been walking through this series called uh, The Forgotten Way, and basically we've been looking at, at, at teachings of Jesus where Jesus is telling us, look, this is the way you should live. This is the life I have for you. And if you put this into practice and you'll live this way, you're going to experience something you've never experienced before on a level you haven't experienced it. And we've been walking through these, these things. The first week we talked about how our schedules get so busy and crazy. None of us are really immune to that, right? And yet he's telling us, look, you're designed for rest. Take your Sabbath. Take your Sabbath. Rest on the Sabbath and enjoy. Why? Because your body's designed that way all the way back to creation. The week after that, we talked about this whole issue of modesty and a sexual ethic. And that Jesus talks about this, that he actually, he designs a sexual ethic for us to follow. And not just to follow because, you know, he said it, we do it, but because it brings incredible life to us. And we avoid so many struggles in life when we follow that. And so this week, we're, we're going to continue. We're going to talk about this, this issue of, of service and being a blessing to others and looking around. And I want to, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 7. And I want to walk through two passages, and they fall back to back. There's 15 verses here, so it might take a little while for me to read it. But I want to read it, and I, I want to unpack these for just a minute, these passages. When I look at Luke, 
and I look at these, how he's writing, you're going to see very similar stories that happen here. You're basically seeing two people that are being healed, one person that is sick and near death, one person that has already actually died, and Jesus brings healing to both of these. These stories are shown back to back. As you read these, though, I think as I look at this, Luke knows exactly what he's doing and exactly what he's wanting to share in this story. And so he does this, starting in verse 1. We're going to read these, and then I'd like to unpack them uh, just a little bit. They'll be on the screen if you need, but if you've got your Bible, like always, it's such a benefit to actually having God's Word in your hand to look at. Um, I've, I've never seen anyone come up and write notes on our screen uh, when, you know, it would be awkward if you did and probably ruin our screen. But uh, in your Bible, you can underline, write notes, reminders, whatever the Lord's talking to you about. So let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. It says, When Jesus had finished saying all of this, and in hearing the, the people of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, Jesus had finished saying all this. What did he just finish saying? Do you remember? Well, it's what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, that teaching that Jesus is just doing. That's what he's just finished doing, his most famous sermon. In fact, we, we've talked about some of those words the last several weeks. There was a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Then when, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man of, uh, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and this that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, "I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel." Then the men who had heard, who had been sent, returned to the house and found the servant well. Well, let's pause for just a second there before we pop in to this other passage. You see, Jesus has just finished this incredible teaching. And so what we're learning here is he has this great following now. And so everywhere he goes from this moment on, he's going to have hordes of people that come and follow him. I know nothing about that. You know, um, never do like when I finish a message and, and head out after church here around 1230, you know, nobody's ever walking to the car with me. You know, it is, it is me. You don't follow me out there. I don't know why that is. But Jesus immediately has this incredible following. And from here all the way on, he's going to have people. I mean, he had become immediately a big, big deal. And so Jesus is out and, and we find that this centurion servant is sick. Now, this centurion, now remember, this centurion would have been a Roman officer, not a Jewish person. Now, remember at the time, it, the Jews in Jerusalem, they were, they were really controlled or watched after or governed by the Roman Empire. So even though it was the Jewish nation, the Roman Empire really had control. And so these centurion soldiers, they would have been all over the place and their jobs were to you know, keep order and watch out for things. And it would seem, based on the story, that this particular centurion here was one that was of high enough rank that he had, that he had soldiers underneath him. Ones that, as he says, he says go and they go and come and they come. And so uh, there's some authority and power that this centurion had. 
And what's interesting about this here is when his servant becomes sick, some elders of the law of the, come to elders of the Jews come to him to ask him to heal this servant. That's interesting here because, remember, the Romans would not have been overly interested in the Jewish religion. I mean, they could care less. Just keep the peace, okay? If you, you Jews believe what you want, follow what you want, just don't cause us much trouble is what's really being said and going on here. This is a Roman centurion who wouldn't have been overly interested. But we find this servant who's sick, a servant could have been it could have been a Jewish person at the time. This could have been somebody from Ethiopia that was brought over. This could have been somebody who owed money to the Roman Empire and therefore they became a servant. We don't quite know for sure, but it would make sense in this context that the servant would have been a Jewish person, a Jewish person who was serving uh, this, this centurion here. And so we find here that he sends some of the the elders of the Jews. When we say elders of the Jews, often the Bible is talking about religious leaders. So when the Bible says there, when, when the Roman centurion sends the religious leaders to go to see Jesus and ask Jesus to come, this is a little bit an interesting dynamic. Somewhere, somehow, this Roman had been impacted by the, Jew, by the Jews or by the Jewish nation or even by the Jewish faith that we find there must have been some impact. Because when he thought here about healing, he thought about Jesus. Obviously, the reputation of Jesus had already spread and had already moved, or Jesus had come into the town and it so rapidly got from house to house that it was Jesus this person thought of. But this, this centurion obviously had, had this knowledge and this interest in the Jewish faith or this Jesus coming. We find later that the, the Jewish leaders tell Jesus, verse 4, this man deserves to have you do this to heal him because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so if we take the scripture at face value, which there'd be no reason not to, that what we find here is that this centurion obviously had done good for the Jewish nation. He had done good, had built the synagogue, we actually find out here, that for whatever had happened there, whether it was labor or whatever, he was part of building that and being a friend to the Jewish people. And so it would make sense that these leaders, these religious leaders, would want Jesus to come and to heal. Now you might think, well, wait a second, I thought the religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus. Well, this is a little bit early on still. Um, Jesus has taught good things here, and, and they view him up till now as a very possible prophet, is what they view him as and so they would seek him out and ask him to come heal. Now, you could look at this story, and as you look at this, you could say, well, this is a good move for Jesus here. This is a good political move for Jesus. I mean, you have this centurion, someone of great power here, somebody who obviously is, is, has a good connection and a good friendship with, with the Jewish people and these Jewish leaders. This is a good political move for Jesus to go ahead and go and attend to these guys' needs here or heal this guy because he would be in, he'd be in pretty good standing here. I mean, this jumps him a notch. He gets favor with this centurion. He gets favor with the religious leaders. And obviously, anytime you heal, you know, the crowd loves to see that as well. A pretty good move for Jesus if you wanted to kind of weave in between, interpret the story that way. What we do know about the story, though, is that Jesus goes, and as he's on his way, the centurion says, look, don't even come here. I'm not even worthy for you to be in my house not even worthy for you. In fact, I know you, I know that, that your power and your reputation before you, that if you just said something where you're at, that would be enough. 
and my servant would be healed. And Jesus, obviously, he speaks to this. He obviously sees this not as a centurion just trying to get something, not as some desperate measure. He finds this as genuine faith. And he says so to the crowd. I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So that's the first story here. Again, you could weave in between and say, pretty good move for Jesus to heal somebody of this stature or the servant of somebody in this, a good, good situation, and, and that proves well for Jesus. Let's look at the second story, though. Verse 11. You can follow on the screen if you need. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And he approached the town, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. You see, Luke, as he's writing here, Luke is highly educated, and as he's writing, he wants people to read this that are in significant places. A Theophilus is actually the person that Luke is actually writing his gospel and then the book of Acts too. I mean, he is writing, we know Theophilus actually is referred to as most excellent, so he has some high title here. And so Luke is writing this, hoping that people of that stature will read this. And so people of that stature, as you read that first story, you might conclude exactly what I said you might could conclude based on that. Good political move, good power move, Jesus. Jesus really understands leveraging his leadership and those type of things. But then Luke throws in this story right after it. He's going into this town, and as he's in there, there's, there's a procession going on. It's a funeral procession is what's happening here, and they're carrying the coffin of this dead person. And they learn that this dead person is the son of a mother, the only son. And then we find out that he, she is a widow as well. What is Luke trying to communicate to us as a reader when we read that? This lady is nothing culturally anymore. She's nothing. She's a widow, which is very difficult as it is in this male-dominant society. To, to live as a widow, no rights, no, no job opportunities, no really way to earn your way at all. You're nothing, really. But she has a son, and that son can provide for that. That son can be that, that the father was not, because he's no longer in the picture. And yet, we find now that her son is dead, and she is now a widower with no son. Culturally, this lady in this story has nothing. Nowhere to go, Nothing. In fact, we find later on in the book of Acts that this is one of the passionate roles of the early church was to raise money for the widows because they knew and they understood culturally they, they, they really had nowhere to go, no, no leg to stand on and certainly no income to make it. And so the early church made it one of their missions to go and to raise money. In fact, Paul on his missionary journeys was even doing that. And so we find in this story here that Jesus sees this and knowing this, He stops, and the the scripture says in verse 13, his heart went out for her, and he said, don't cry. Might be my favorite passage in that section when he says his heart went out for her. You see, Jesus healed the centurion's servant, and I think Jesus had great compassion on him. But Luke didn't write it the way he wrote this. 
He wanted us to know his heart goes out for this lady. He says, don't cry. And then, of course, we know he heals. You see, as we look at this story here, Jesus would have nothing politically or power-wise to gain. He's not leveraging his leadership in any way in this, this passage here, in any way for, for helping this widow or helping this lady out. You see, it wasn't that they were being mean culturally in their eyes to shun a widow. It just was the accepted practice of culture. It just, it's just how they functioned in their culture. And so for Jesus to kind of ignore this would have been quite okay. For Jesus' heart not to gone out of her, uh, out to her would would not have been seen as him being wrong or mean or, or terrible here. But Jesus views it totally different. And though he's not able to use this as any political play or power uh, grabbing here, not leveraging his leadership in any way, he just simply has compassion on this lady. And therefore he heals her son. This morning uh, I told you that we're going to be talking about caring for other people. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, as believers even, sometimes we view the way we help somebody else, maybe in terms of how the first passage possibly could be interpreted by some. We have agendas in how we help people. We have agendas. Is, will this eventually help me back? Do I, do I have enough time? Or if I do offer my time, will there be time offered back to me at some point? And we start to interpret, if we're not careful, we start to interpret the way we serve people and the way we care for people based on that. I can tell you one thing that happens for sure when we start to interpret based on what we might get out of how we help somebody else. Compassion is lost. Compassion can't show up. In fact, we start to interpret every way we ever serve anybody by how it might benefit me. And compassion is lost entirely. Jesus is popping in the picture here and he says, when we talk about service, when we talk about caring for somebody, when we talk about being a blessing, at the core of any of it has to be this line. His heart went out for her. There's this compassion at the core of this. And so, therefore, Jesus says, this, this is where we start in service. And so for the next few minutes, I want to share with you just a couple things that, that keep us sometimes from having this compassion and maybe how we can, we can turn that around a bit. I want to tell you the first time I ever learned about compassion, about what it meant. I didn't even know what was happening. All I know is I skipped school one day. That wasn't the compassion part. Um, but I skipped school one day and I went in to, to Riverside to, to a taco restaurant that sold, you know, cheap tacos. And, uh, and we hung out there. And, you know, at the time when you're like 17 years old, I mean, you think, I can skip, I can go anywhere, nobody sees me, no way to get in trouble. Um, I did learn later, this isn't significant to the story, but uh, one of our assistant principals actually did a little drive-by at that taco place, and my name was on the list. But, uh, so we're at taco, uh, this taco place, and getting tacos, and I saw this, this lady who was there, and I was in line, and she was way up in line, and normally as a 17-year-old, you know, as I was, you know, if I saw ladies, it meant I was, you know, some checking out some girl somewhere, but, um, but this girl, actually, I looked up, and I noticed she had kind of like burn marks down, down the back of her neck and stuff, and she was holding this little girl in her arms, and as she was holding this little girl, I could tell the little girl was you know, a bit, bit dirty and, and a bit unkept and, and that type of thing. And having you know, grown up in this 
you know, white middle class area. You know, I would look at this and go, oh, that's, you know, that's not my world. But as I looked on it this time, this lady with kind of some burn marks and, and scarring and some, this holding this little girl, I don't know what it was, but my heart just sunk for this girl. For some reason, sitting there in Taco Tia, packed out with other, you know, high schoolers my age that have skipped school, I looked at this girl and I was like, man, there's something wrong in her life. There's something rough in her life. There's something she's dealing with that is difficult. Now, I had never experienced anything like that before. I mean, never. I mean, anytime I had concern like that, it was like, you know, at a baseball game, wondering if, you know, somebody was going to get a hit so I could bat next. So that's about the level of my concern up to this point in my life. But I had this passion and this concern for this girl and what was going on, and I didn't even know how to articulate it. So I went on. I had my tacos. I went back to school. Uh, I did hear from the assistant principal that day, um, and I went on with my day. went to baseball practice, but I hadn't shook this feeling. And that night, um, on my way to uh, work, I was working at Burger King. Um, I was a very experienced burger flipper back in those days. And as I was going there, I thought, you know, I don't know what this is, but I, I actually turned the car around. I went back to my house, and I called my youth pastor, and I shared with him what was going on and what I was feeling and stuff like this. Of course, you know, he took it like an old pro, shared exactly what, what was going on, the compassion. He said, you need, to, you need to pray for this girl right now as in much detail as you can. You need to pray for this girl. And I'd only been a Christian about a year, um, so I didn't spend a lot of time praying for other people at the time. I, I was still learning this. And I did. I sat down and, and prayed for this lady and this, this girl, and I felt peace after that. I never saw her again. I have no idea what happened to her. I have no idea what the difficulty was. But the thing I take away from it and remember, and in many ways it's marked my life, is that passion, that compassion, that thing that drove me within, and I didn't even know what it was going on. And so this morning, I, I'll ask you the, a question. How's your passion level? Do you have stories like that you ever share where you say, man, there's something just moved me, and it just, because of the way it moved me, I just felt like I needed to be involved, or I needed to pray, or I needed to do something, but I needed to serve and care for this person. Here's the neat thing about that is the more we experience that, and we actually don't run away from it, but we in, engage in that type of feeling, it's amazing how developing the lenses or eyes to serve people uh, just just happens, and we start to serve in all kinds of ways and all kinds of of different uh, different genres. My youth pastor Mark Wilson would be the one person I look back and I'd say, "Man, that guy could serve." Everywhere he went, it just seemed like he would serve. And I don't mean service projects like he was constantly putting together things. You know, where we're going to work here, we're going to the soup kitchen here. Those are important. But it just seemed like the way he interacted people, with people. And he used to have a phrase, and at the, at the end of his conversation, when he would leave, he would say, hey, let me know if you need anything. And he would you know, go, go his way. That, would, that was kind of his way of saying, all right, bye, see you later. Let me know if you need anything. And I remember as a young man, I was about 18 at the time, being so impressed with that statement that I said, I want to I I take that, I want to steal that, and I want to use that. And, and there's sometimes I find myself saying it, but, uh, but, that's, but that was the, this philosophy I wanted to live my life by. So this morning, why, why don't we serve more would be the question. I think the biggest thing for us is we're like everybody else. We use two little words. What do we say? We say, I'm too busy. I'm busy. I'm way too busy to be able to serve, to be able to help somebody else, to be able to involve anything. I'm just 
way too busy. I want to share with you a few passages this morning. Take a look at the screen. These are times when people came to Jesus. These are unprompted encounters. People just showed up to Jesus. He's going along his way. He's doing his thing, and they just showed up. Take a look at the screen. Let me work through them. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds gathered around him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. In Matthew 8, 5, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came and to him asking for help. We just read that. Matthew 8, 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. In Matthew 20, 30, two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he, what he had that he had come home, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Mark 3, 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Mark 5, 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit and came came and fell at his feet. These are just times when Jesus, on his way, way outside of his schedule, was confronted with these situations, opportunities where he could serve and care for him. Now, you may know the, the rest of the story in each of these passages, but do you know how many of them Jesus actually stopped and healed and helped and served in these? Yeah, you might have guessed it. Every single one of them, every single one, Jesus stops and cares because Jesus has this, this spirit of generosity with his service. He wants to serve. He wants to be a blessing. Why? because he didn't look at it from what he could get or what his agenda might be, as might be interpreted in the first story we read today. He looked at it definitely as the second story says clearly that his heart went out to this woman. His heart went out to each of these situations as well. You see, Jesus, he doesn't interrupt his schedule because he feels obligated, but because he is generous. He's generous with his service. He's generous with his compassion. And so he looks out and he cares for people. A question this morning, does that identify you at all? When you think about yourself and you think about being a blessing to other people and to serving other people, does that describe you at all? Does it describe you to ask the question when you're, do st- when you're doing things, where, whether you say yes or no, do you ask yourself the question, does this portray the character of God? Does this portray what Jesus was about? You see, in the Forgotten Way series, I would say that even as Christians sometimes, the forgotten way is that we're called just to serve. We're called just to care for people. We're called not to really worry about the results or what we might get out of it. We're just called to to serve. Maybe you read the article this week of the vacation Bible school that was charging for their their students to come. Now, I I don't need to make a big proclamation of whether it's right or wrong to charge on this, 
But what was interesting was to read the dialogue that followed on this, the, the, the people for and the people are against. And that those that were talking so earnestly about this church obviously had lost its way and, and that they only cared about what they could get back in service. I don't want to for a moment think this church was actually feeling this way. It's not for me to figure out or, or worry about. But I can say, as a believer and as somebody who's fallen into the trap myself, that often my, my service is interpreted that way. That I wonder about what we'll get back out of it. I wonder about what it might cost us and will there be a return. And Jesus is teaching us here in these passages and many others that we could have read. He's teaching us here, it doesn't really matter what you're going to get back from it. It doesn't really matter. I'll take care of you. You'll, you'll be fine. But serve and have compassion on other people. This morning, maybe uh, in your head, if you took just a moment, you could visualize somebody that uh, in your life, somebody you see on a normal basis, maybe somebody in your family, somebody you work with, somebody you run across, maybe you drive down the road and it's that person on the street corner, wherever. But you can, you can see a face right now and you could say, that person is somebody I think needs compassion. Needs compassion. You know what you could do this week? You could just go off from compassion. You could go off from some service. You could go say, I'm going to be a blessing to them. Maybe it's a bottle of water to somebody or, you know, taking a work shift from somebody. I don't know what it is. You can interpret that. You're smart enough for that. But you could this week put it into play. Because the question, how do we develop compassion? We really develop compassion when we just start serving. And it's one little blessing at a time with people. And before we know it, we've developed this heart of caring and having compassion for other people. At Wendover Hills, I, uh, when I came here, I thought, this is a church that really cares for one another. I mean, it's, it's pretty neat, you know, the, the interaction and the friendship and the, you know, the greeting and, and some of the stuff that was even shared here. It's pretty incredible. But I wonder about how compassionate are they when the doors are, you know, closed and they're on their way and they're at their, their houses during the week. Well, I drove in. Um, we moved in with the moving van and, uh, um, as I moved down, it was, it was cold. You know, we were moving from Chicago, so we, we were like, you know, a bunch of wimps. Uh, but it was, it was cold that day. You know, it was, on, it was, I don't know, around freezing or so. We had just pulled out like at negative nine. So, but but uh, as we pulled in, you know, there was like 25, 30 people. Um, and this was a church, you know, at the time, you know, we were running 70 or so people. And there was 30 or so people there waiting in the cold in the street, <laughs> You know, as we pulled in, I remember our, our, my neighbor, Farah, who's here this morning, telling me, how, did they, how do they know so many people so quick? <laughs> you know, um, it's a church family. It's the way God cares. Well, I thought, well, surely that's just a pastor, a new pastor coming in. Of course they're going to do that for a new pastor, right? I mean, if they didn't, we'd just turn the van around and head back, right? <laughs> um, but then I start to, started to see how the church was doing it for other people in other situations, um, and then there was this family, uh, this was going back about a year ago, or eight months ago, um, didn't go to our church. In fact, for the most, most part, nobody in the church really knew her, just, just a handful of us. And, uh, and we didn't even much say anything about their need, but somehow somebody found out about their need that didn't even know them. And, you know, to my surprise, there, there was four or $500 just handed over uh, to this family as, as a time of need. It's this area of compassion, when we look at something and it moves our heart. And as a body of believers, that's really what we're called to be. And that's what, what we're called to do, 
is to care for people and serve people compassionately. Individually, wherever we work and wherever we're at in our family, we're called to do it. As a church body, we're called to do it. Because Jesus, as our example, says, it's just, it's just what we are. It's what we do. And when we bless people, uh, it's amazing the things that can happen in their life. Well, I'm going to take a moment to pray for you this morning and, and to, to wrap it up. And, and this morning, uh, maybe for you, you might be the one that you say, I remember a time when somebody had great passion and care for me, and I haven't done very good at learning that example and being that myself. For some of us, maybe you're like really involved in service, like you do a lot of things.